Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, we do praise you that you are the King of Kings. We submit our hearts, our minds, our lives to you this morning. I ask that you would speak to us, whether here present in this building or watching online. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon us strongly and powerfully. That we would recognize your power, your authority, and your majesty. We pray against any spirit of evil that would try to confuse or present a lie in any form. We pray for your spirit of truth to rule and reign. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been following my teachings over the last few months, you know that I went through this long period of talking about judgment and the need for the church and for individuals to repent. And if anything, I would say that need or that urgency is increasing, that those who do not know him need to repent and humble themselves and seek him. Those who do know him need to repent of anything in your life that in some way is inhibiting you from walking in the way that Christ would have for you at all times. And so then we turn to talking about if we repent, What does a a true church look like? That starts with you and I as individuals, but then the collective body. If we are in a repentant mode and following Christ and humble before him, what do we look like? And we essentially started a series, and we said first that a true church loves God, and primarily that it loves him more than we love the world. And one of the great problems of our society, of churches in this country, is that we tend to love the world in some form or another more than we love God. And I think one of the things that God is doing right now is declaring to people, he's, he's caused many things to shut down that we normally think of as idols, really, and that he's saying, seek him and him alone. We said, secondly, that a true church fears the Lord that we walk in a reverent respect of him. It is utmost respect of his authority, his majesty, his power. And that it is important for us as individuals and as the church to have a reverent fear of him and a fear of God is radically missing in our society. Then last week we talked about the importance of the church aspiring to holiness That is, you and I individually seeking to live a holy and righteous life, not to live a a duplicitous life where we say we're one thing and then we act in other ways, but to be consistent throughout. And in exploring that, we said that we are called to be a holy people. It's in 1 Peter that we are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you and I have been made holy by him. And I made the little joke last week. If somebody asks you if you're a Christian, you should say, yes. And on top of that, I'm a priest and a royal one at that. 
And in fact, you are, that you don't need a go-between. There are no intermediaries. All of us are in the same place. Now, all of us have the opportunity to connect to the Holy Spirit and to talk with him and walk in his power in, in the same way. And so we are all part of this royal priesthood. And we have been made holy by the work of Christ. That it is something that's stated not only here in Hebrews, but in many places that past tense, you have been made holy. When God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of the work of Christ in your life. You having received him, then he sees you as a holy vessel. Now, you may not recognize yourself that way because you know that in some areas you might be struggling, maybe with your words or your actions, whatever it might be, to really be a holy person. But God sees you that way. You have been made holy. What he is doing is working in you to bring you to the place where you live out what you have been created to be in him. And, of course, the struggle for, for all of us is between the old person, the old sinful desires, and the new person created in me through the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ. And that as we surrender our minds and our wills to him, we become more like him. That's this whole process of the Christian life is learning to be more like him. And in that regard, the scripture then says we are to live holy lives, that we are to abstain from sinful desires, those things that war against us, this battle in our soul, in our flesh, where there are temptations that come our way and things of that nature that lead us in a false direction. And as we grow in maturity in him, we should be more surrendered such that these sinful desires have less power upon us. The scripture says that we are to live such good lives, that is holy lives, before the pagan people around us, that even though they might accuse you of wrongdoing in some way, they would still see the goodness of God glorified in you. That many of us, probably I should say all of us, are placed in settings where there are people around us who do not know him or at least are estranged from him. And God is using you as the example of what it means to walk with him. And so there is this question of, are you a good example? Are you living a holy life that God would see who you really are, what, that other people would see God in you and who you really are in him? And, of course, we're called to be this way, to be holy people, because he is holy. The scripture says, don't conform to the evil, evil desires of this world, but be holy because the one who called you, he is holy. He says, be holy because I am holy. Now, in and of your own strength, you can't do that. But notice that last verse. It says, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear, where we were talking about be a fear of the Lord, that as you have a healthy fear of him and walk in the spirit, you can, in fact, live a holy life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. And then when you do fail in some way, you immediately acknowledge it and repent of it and get back on track. But God wants you to be a living example. And certainly I've known many Christians who were wonderful examples of righteousness and holiness to the world around them. And I'm sure that they're their rewards in heaven are great. I think of this lady I knew, Louise Gibson. Maybe a few of you knew Louise. She, she passed when she, I think, was in her early 90s, and that's been a number of years ago. And she was just such a sweet, godly example of the Lord. And she impacted many, many, many people. I'm sure her eternal reward is extraordinary because she simply surrendered to him 
and lived out a holy life that glorified God. Now, where I want to go this week is talking about the next, next portion of what should be a true church. And that is that it would proclaim the truth. Now, in some ways, you would think this would be the most simple and basic reality of what a church does. However, in the world in which we find ourselves, there is increasingly an absence of fundamental truth and increasingly many people are false teachers and teaching things that are not of God. Now, if you will remember, I did a little series, I think it was last year, about false teachers. And of course, I didn't name names. I think it's sort of unwise to start attacking individuals and things and say, oh, this is a false teacher and that's not. But I said there are different types of false teachers. There are those who are false teachers because they do not know better. In other words, they're teaching what they've learned up to that point and their, their understanding is incomplete and they might teach something that is not sound or true. Those are the not, not the most dangerous ones. In fact, they would be people who would be likely to grow in knowledge and truth. And in fact, I've said that there are things that I believe now and understand now that I did not know years ago, so some of my teaching is different than it once was. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I was a false teacher, but I did teach things that I'd say, mm, maybe that wasn't the best. But then there are worse false teachers. There are those who teach falsely for personal gain. Whatever they're putting forth is just for their own personal gain. And then one step further, there are those who are intentional false teachers because they're trying to manipulate and control and have power over others. And then the worst examples would be those who are teaching falsely because some demonic power has authority in them and is working through them. And you see, we're in a culture where all of those things are taking place. And the latter category is getting worse and worse and worse. There's some people whose names I won't mention, but are very well known, very popular, who I am convinced are false teachers, absolutely false teachers, leading people astray. And there's some demonic, deceptive power working through them. Now, let me say this. The most important question in life, one of the most important questions, is what is truth? And of course, you'll remember this scripture where this statement was made by Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, well, you're a king. And Jesus said, you're right when you say that I am a king. In fact, we're just saying that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He said, in fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to truth. Now, isn't that interesting? In this context, that he makes this statement among the most important last statements of Jesus, that for this purpose, I came into the world to testify to truth. And then Pilate responds sarcastically, what is truth? The wise person should be asking honestly and genuinely what is truth in every situation and every circumstance. 
Now, some of you have heard me say that I believe this is a perfect world. I don't think it's the perfect world. Eventually, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That'll be the perfect world. But this is a perfect world in which to choose. That is, to choose to accept Christ and walk with God or reject him. And the reason it is perfect in that regard is that right before us is set good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And do you realize what those contrasts boil down to are the differences between truth and lies? Remember now, Satan is the father of lies. He is a liar. It is his character, whereby the character of God himself is truth. And there is a constant conflict in the world between darkness and light, between lies and truth. And every human being has to sort out for themselves what is true. Now, whether you realize it or not, you have been doing that. Because how you live your life is based on the things that you have come to believe are important and true. The very fact that you are a part of the group here assembled today is somehow or another based on some beliefs you have assumed to be true about what it means to seek God and worship him. Do you realize in every area of life, people are always deciding what is true? Now, we've come to an unusual time in in recent history where people today essentially in the culture say there is no truth. That if this question were asked, what is truth? Many people would say, well, there is no truth. The only thing that you can call truth is something that you decide for yourself or that society decides collectively based on the context in which you find yourself. In other words, there is no absolute truth. There is no transcendent truth. You understand what I mean by the, when I say transcendent truth, that would mean that there are certain truths that transcend every person in every part of the world and that we would, we would accept that those are absolutely true. But the culture today tries to say there are no such things. But now we would say, for example, that the law of gravity is an absolute truth and that any person who tests it finds out that it's true. And you see, yet the culture is radically trying to say There is no such thing as truth that it is self-determined, essentially. Now, in in, in the book of John, it says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That the law was given for what primary purpose? To reveal to people their need for a Messiah. That before the law was given, I didn't know what sin was, but the law was that which convicted me of sin and revealed it. And then it showed to people the need for a Messiah, for a Savior. And that what came through Christ is grace and truth. That no one had ever seen God, but, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, referring to Jesus, has made him known. 
that he is the living representation, the example of ultimate truth. Then further, the scripture says in John that Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. He's this part of a dialogue they were having. And then Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I don't know that it could be any more pertinent than right now. That when a society is attacking what is fundamentally true, what is essentially it is doing is attacking the nature and character of God himself. See, essentially, when we say there is no such thing as absolute truth, we're trying to say there is no God. The implicit statement of that is what? I am God. Which a lot of people believe, and of course there are even theologies or false uh, teachings that would say you're a God or a little God. But there are a lot of people in our society who are attacking the very concept of truth. And in so doing, you are directly attacking Christ himself. For he is the revealed truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, if you could only take that one sentence that said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Do you realize that is the full gospel right there? That there is no other way by which a person can come to the Father. In fact, that's what it says right here. No one comes to the Father except through him. He said, if you really knew him, you would know the Father, that anyone who has seen Christ has seen the Father. That he is God incarnate revealing the truth. And that an attack upon truth is an attack upon him. Now, it is, a, it is one thing where you might have two people who disagree who are seeking to find the truth. In fact, one of the things that I enjoy is getting in a conversation with somebody who is genuinely seeking the truth but might have some measure of disagreement with what I believe. Now, I've had some really enjoyable conversations like that. And what I don't like is where somebody who disagrees with you becomes angry because they are unwilling to seek truth and are so entrenched in what they believe. Now, let me say this. One of the reasons there is a lot of anger in our society is that people are entrenched in a defense of their sinful lifestyle. You see, if I like what my sinful lifestyle is, I contrive some scenario to rationalize it. Human beings have always done that. That in my mind, I contrive some scenario to rationalize it. In fact, I've, I've had people in counseling with them who've done that kind of thing, and they've tried to explain to me why they were involved in this, even though they knew it was wrong. And by the time they got through with their own explanation, they sort of laughed at themselves. In other words, saying, yeah, I guess that doesn't make sense, does it? But you see, human beings rationalize and defend their sin. And if a truth stands against that, they become entrenched in that argument and angry against those who stand for truth. And this is where we are in society. 
Now, there's some anger that here and there is justified. Remember, we talked about justified anger and unjustified anger. There's some that's justified. It's not all about this issue of truth. But if you find a person who is angry, who is in a sinful lifestyle, you can be certain that their anger is a part of the defense of the lies that they are trying to believe. Now, we go a little further about Jesus. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. In other words, the law was given, and he came to fulfill it in every way. He is the fulfillment of the law. And this is why there's some aspects of the law that we don't have to apply today. I've said that there are three parts of the law. There's the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law given in the Old Testament. And the moral law is the most foundational. That's the part that transcends everything that is still applicable today. When you lie, you violate the nature and character of God, and you violate the moral law of God. And it is a real thing, the same as violating the law of physics, because you're violating the character of the one who created all things. But you see, the civil law given in the Old Testament, those were the penalties for violating the moral law. We have the same thing in our society today. People say, don't legislate your morality, but every law is essentially somebody's concept of morality, and we have laws, civil laws, for penalties for violating it. If you get in a contractual relationship with somebody and you've done something false, you've lied in forming the contract, then you can be held liable for that and have consequences. You see, that's, that's a moral law being violated, and there's civil consequences. The ceremonial law of the Old Testament had to do with all the sacrifices to cover for the violations of the moral law. It's all about the fundamental moral law, which is about truth, which at one step further is about Christ himself. See, this is why I've tried to say that the, the moral standards of God are not arbitrary. They are his nature. He didn't just sit down one day and say, I want this to be a moral law and that and so forth. It's his character. It's what he does. It's who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. He cannot and does not lie. Satan is a liar. And for every human being, one of the things that you must sort out as you work through this journey in this life is what is truth? Do you realize that there are countless people, I believe the majority of people, who are believing lies in many, many areas? Some of you will recall I did a whole series on lies people believe. We tend to believe lies about ourselves, about other people, and about God. And Satan is the perpetrator of lies. He wants you to believe those lies. For example, a lie about yourself is you might think of yourself as worthless and nobody. I'm not intelligent or whatever it is. Any of those kinds of lies are lies from the pit of hell designed to keep you from really walking in the power that God has for you. For you are created in the image of God. You are uniquely gifted to his glory. And see, it's just true that there are many lies that, that Satan and the spirits of evil perpetrate to try to crush people. Some of you might recall a long time ago, I talked about um, uh, this book that was written, was based on a study done by a Harvard professor some years ago, and he talked about different types of intelligence 
that we tend to think of intelligence as a person who can do well in science and physics and so forth and, and prosper in school and so forth and so on. Well, that measures one type of intelligence, but in his case, he was saying there are many types of intelligence, like people intelligence or people who have intelligence in dealing with agricultural things or horticulture or something like that, people who have intelligence in terms of their mechanical skills, working with their hands, that there are many different types. And do you realize that society in some way tends to say to some of those people, you're not smart, when in fact they're brilliant in the area of gifting that they have? just one of the things I've come to realize is that every single person is uniquely gifted and, and the capacity that they have to do great things is phenomenal in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet the spirits of evil want every person to believe lies about you're not good enough. See, that's one of the fundamental battles of truth and lies. This is why I say that every person has at some point and probably still does right now believe some lies about yourself, about others, or about God. But notice what Jesus said. He said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He said, I tell you the truth. Do you realize that that statement, I tell you the truth, or something similar to it, appears in Scripture about 70 times? Just stop and look and see how many times when Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And what he was saying was in the context of Satan is a liar. He's been a liar always. He's constantly lying. I came to tell you the truth. And see, we live in a world where many people do not want to hear the truth. They want to believe lies. Why do people want to believe lies? To justify their own sin. It boils down to that. And the root of that is what? Pride. I want to be my own little God. I'm in charge. I'm willing to believe lies to defend what I want to sit in to defend my sinful lifestyle, whatever it is. But Jesus said, in this case, he was talking about the law. He said, I tell you the truth. Not until heaven and earth disappear. Not the single smallest portion of the law will disappear but it will be accomplished in him but he's all about truth and see i i believe in every context now when i start to look in, in at situations i have to stop and really sort out what is the truth and what is the lie here i see it all the time in things going on in the world in things going on in individual lives for some people, when I'm counseling them, I'm just helping them try to see that they have been living and believing a lie and the truth is something different. Like, like some people have bought a lie that I can choose to be unfaithful to my spouse and do all kinds of crazy things outside of that and it's somehow better. There's a lie in that that one who is faithful and true is the one who is blessed long-term. You know, we don't, we don't teach here essentially the prosperity gospel, but it is true that if you are honest and true and faithful to God, there are blessings and you do prosper in him. 
but we don't teach those as an idol or a goal. You, you love him, and he will add to you everything you have need of. He does prosper those who walk in truth because they are simply walking in his will. Scripture says this, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Who suppress the truth. If there is any battle going on right now, it is this battle of what is true. And there is, an, there is a, a world war against truth. And if there is such a war, it is primarily against Christ himself. And the one who is waging that war is Satan himself. In the spiritual realm, you know, the scripture says we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. In the spiritual realm, I think there's a great battle going on. And it's showing and being revealed in the physical world. And it is a battle to suppress truth, I believe, in the last days because the Spirit of God is going out for the final harvest, bringing people in, and the spirits of evil are doing everything possible to try to keep people out of the kingdom of heaven. And it's simultaneously to destroy lives. I was talking to the person the other day, I was talking about on average, if a person is an alcoholic, it'll take somewhere around 15 years off of your lifespan, okay? Now, you would think that a society would recognize that and do everything it can to discourage something that would take 15 years off of your lifespan. Now, with cigarette smoke, you know that happened that on average, it'll take about 10 years off of your lifespan, and society generally stood against that and tried to discourage it and do a lot of things in that nature. And yet, when it comes to alcohol, it's almost the opposite. And you see, there is an issue there about truth. If we really looked at the truth, that it is not a healthy thing to become an alcoholic. And, of course, most people don't wake up one day and decide they're going to be an alcoholic. It is making one choice and a second choice and a third choice, and then it just multiplies to a 1,000 choices, and then it owns you. And who was behind the attempt to own you? The liar. This is the nature of every sin. It, start, it was there with Adam and Eve that he perpetrated a lie. He took some measure of truth, twisted it, perpetrated a lie, got them to sin. This is the way sin always works. It, ha- it might have some measure of truth, some measure of temptation. It's attractive, but there is a lie in there somewhere. And if you are wise and discerning, you will be a person who is looking for the lie. I want to I encounter people who are filled with truth and overflowing with truth and encourage them. But there are some people that I am very, very, very skeptical of, even within the church. Because stop and think about it. Within everything that is called organized church, are there a lot of lies? Well, by definition, there have to be because there is surely a lot of disagreement over foundational issues. 
you can find some, I call them organizations, that call themselves churches that would really argue that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, the foundational scripture we just looked at, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, there are churches who would say, no, they're really multiple ways. I can't find that anywhere in scripture. Anything that is universalism, that is, says that there are many ways to God and so forth, is saying you can somehow or another deal with your own sin without Christ. The scripture says that it is impossible for you, the law came to reveal sin in you, then if it weren't for the mercy and grace of God extended to you as an individual, every single one of us ju- deserves the judgment of hell. We do. See, we live in a modern era where we, this is one of the lies is that hell's not a real place. You don't have to worry about that. You know, God's a good God. He's going to let everybody in. We all ger- deserve the judgment of death. We, we do. And if you think you don't, you do not see your own heart. A couple weeks ago, I quoted G.K. Chesterton. Some of you remember where he was asked by, it might have been the London paper, one of the organizations in London, asked to, he was among many who were asked to write about what was wrong with the world. And he responded he, with a letter that said, Dear Sir, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? Me. Well, see, when you realize that the darkness of your own heart is a problem and that you deserve the judgment of death and hell, then you realize that there is only one way, the way and the truth of the life of the sacrifice of Christ, which is under absolute attack in this world today. And yet what people don't realize is if they humble themselves ever so slightly, He's there to meet them. He's there to replace the lies with truth. To give you new hope, new direction. It's his nature, his character. You see, in Romans it says that people have been suppressing truth by their wickedness. But because what is known about God is plain. Just last night, if you were out... It was, I don't know if that was a full moon, but it was certainly close. And it was a beautiful night. Just creation itself speaks of the glory of God. It makes it plain to us there is one who created all things. That since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities, his, div- his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen for those who have eyes to see. And do you know when you don't have eyes to see is when you believe lies i've seen that over and over and over people who have made a sinful choice who are entrenched in that whose personality sometimes even changes and there's this coldness about them because they are believing lies and it has gripped their soul and it will destroy them And see, the scripture says that all of this has been revealed. The truth is there, but men suppress it by their wickedness, by their own evil hearts, and therefore they are without excuse. See, people say, well, how could God judge someone in a remote world who's never heard? Well, 
Every single person in the world has the general revelation of the reality of God. There is no person who can say, I I, I had no idea. No one has an excuse. The truth transcends everything. You can't eliminate it. It is there. But society, the society in which we are living, is rampant in trying to deny truth. And perhaps the greatest failure is within the church itself. Not standing for truth. You know, there's some people that I might disagree with on some theological points, but if they stand for the foundational truth of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I stand with them. Lastly, the Holy Spirit has various characteristics. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God. And he has the same characteristics as God the Father and God the Son. And among the, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture is that he is the Spirit of truth. Meaning that the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, is the revealer of truth continuously, constantly to every person who wants to know. And you might raise the question of how could a Christian who genuinely knows God still not believe some portion of truth? It's like, how could Christian men in the early days of this country own slaves? How could they have believed the lie that there was something good about that? What is the root reason that happens? There's one reason that people who genuinely know God still can believe lies in some area. It is pride. That I'm unwilling to humble my heart and my mind in some area. There are genuinely people who know God. Who have some pocket of sin that is strong in their life. And the reason it is there is there is a pocket of pride associated with it. It's like, it's like there's a tumor in your body and it's called pride. And until it is eliminated, that issue is not going to be eliminated. I was thinking about this. You know, one of the things that bothers me a lot is there are a lot of Christians who think that gossip is not a problem. Well, gossip is lying almost always, and it is rooted in pride. And you see, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he targets everything in every life that is not true. We're talking about aspiring to holiness. Well, the way that comes about is God imparting truth to you in your mind, in your soul, so that you live it out. And you live a life of holiness because you live based on truth. And if there are lies somewhere in your mind, it will undermine your life in different ways. See, it says about the Holy Spirit that he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. In other words, what the Father, what the Son, and the Holy Spirit communicate together. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, that is to Jesus, taking from him and making it known to you. See, this is why he was saying to the disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to depart, but I'm going to send you the counselor, the Holy Spirit, 
the spirit of truth, and he will remind you of the things that Jesus has taught. He will tell you about everything that, that you need. He will equip you for this life. Do you realize in every circumstance, no matter where you find yourself, you are never alone if you know Christ. Never. I, I, before I became a Christian, I had many times a sense of being alone or lonely, and I just don't have that. I mean, I can be in a very lonely context but not feel alone. And it's because the Spirit of God is with you. And he's always teaching you, always wanting to reveal truth to you. There's some people who do walk more firmly with God because they have believed truth more deeply. Do you realize when the, when the most critical point of believing truth comes is when death is a reality? Whether you personally are facing it, and it, it really has amazed me. I've seen countless people who knew the Lord face death with confidence. That their knowing of, that he's real and in their life was so deep and so rich and so strong that they faced death with confidence. And you see, it's also critical for those who lose a loved one when they've had someone die. It's at that moment where everything you believe about truth and eternity is so absolutely critical. One of the persons I went to high school with, played sports with, died this past week, and I hadn't seen him in many, many, many years. But some other folks sent me information about it, and um, I read his obituary, and I was so thankful I did because it talked about the church that he attended. He lived in Atlanta, the church he attended, and that he was a faithful Christian, and, and it really was quite elaborate about his Christian life. And I was like, wow. That's a good way, a good legacy, a good ending. And even though I knew him many years ago, we had a friendship then, I hadn't seen him in many, many, many years, I'll see him again. Do you realize that is a fundamental truth? What I just said is a truth. What you believe about eternity. See, I, I mentioned what Ravi Zacharias said about the four critical questions of life are origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did we come from? How will we live? What is the purpose of this life? And what is our destiny beyond death? And do you realize what you believe about truth in those areas influences everything about your life? Absolutely everything. I've said around Easter time several times that all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If you believe the resurrection is true, that Christ arose, and I believe it not because it's written, I believe it because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, living in me, testifying to the reality of the living Christ today. See, if, if you believe in the resurrection, you believe in hope. But see, that's a truth. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, that when we die, we don't have to... Look at this as some morose way that you exit this body. You're in paradise with him. You'll get a new spiritual body. Those are truths, truths. 
You believe truth, it affects how you live. You believe lies, and it affects how you live. And quite honestly, I think the most vulnerable, the most dangerous place today is for young people who are being bombarded with lies. It is a difficult thing to be a young person in the world in which we live and walk in truth. That's why one of the things God has put on my heart is to invest in young men. And I would encourage you to look for young people in whom you can invest. To encourage them in truth. For truth is of utmost importance. In fact, when you get to the end of your life and you look back over whatever the legacy of it is, what it will have been will be a function of what you believe to be true. I mean, it's that important. I believe your eternal rewards are likewise based on what you believe to be true and how you live in this world. Let us pray together. Lord, I pray that your truth would transcend us as individuals, engulf us, set us free from any lies. Likewise, as a church, that we would walk in truth and stand for truth. Lord, I pray for truth to arise in this culture in the midst of all the chaos and confusion that truth would arise. You would raise up people who stand for truth to glorify you. And Lord, I ask you to forgive us for the many ways that we have not only believed but exalted in lies. I pray you'd forgive us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.